Please turn with me to the Word of God, John chapter 9. There you'll find Jesus opening the eyes of the man who was born blind. This is the sixth in the series of miracles from the Gospel of John. Opening the man's eyes who was born blind. My mother used to have a saying, a blindness is a blindness of the heart and not of the eyes. And how true it is. If she told me the story of Helen Keller once, she told it to me a thousand times. And that's why I try to spare my kids telling about Helen Keller. Every time I complain about not having something, he says, remember Helen Keller. <laughs> we are told in the Gospels that Jesus healed blindness at least on seven different occasions. In fact, there are more miracles of giving sight back to the blinds more than any other category of any miracle. And that is very significant. It is very important. Because there is no story of a sight ever being restored to a blind person recorded anywhere in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the giving of sight to the blind is associated with God alone. Exodus 4.11 and Psalm 146.8. In the Old Testament, we read that the opening of the eyes of the blind is the prerogative of the Messiah alone when He comes. Isaiah chapter 29, chapter 35, and chapter 47. Here in John's Gospel, chapter 9, we read that Jesus was moved with compassion toward this man who was born blind. This beggar who was sitting outside the temple gate, presumably an enterprising Guy and capitalizing on the compassion of those who are coming out of worship. Didn't that little he knew that the light of the world was passing by him. This man who was blind from birth is a representative of every one of us. All of us were born spiritually blind. No matter how youthful, no matter how beautiful, no matter how intellectual we may be, we all born spiritually blind. But notice that while the disciples were interested in the cause of blindness, Jesus was interested in restoring this man's sight. When we come to Jesus, we are condemned. Our sins condemn us. Our hearts condemn us. Our consciousness condemn us. Our neighbors condemn us. Our friends condemn us. Satan condemns us. But Jesus sets us free. Satan and the flesh are always concerned of heaping guilt and heaping condemnation upon us. But Jesus is anxious to set us free. Satan and the flesh are always concerned about how deeply we have sinned. Jesus is concerned of how genuine our repentance is. Satan and the flesh are always concerned of how we committed sins that are unforgettable and unforgivable. But Jesus said, my blood cleanses you from all unrighteousness. And the disciples here were speculating on the relationship between the people's sicknesses and their diseases. But Jesus was interested in glorifying the Father. Look at the passage carefully. The disciples were philosophizing as to the nature of man's blindness. But Jesus was philanthropizing, I made up a word, in restoring this man's sight. 
Not only the disciples were off track, but the neighbors were confused. They did not know whether this is the same guy. The neighbors did not know how to take the change in this man's life. (laughs) The neighbors did not know what to make of this change that has taken place. The neighbors who did not ever hear or see anything like this ever happen before were confused and wondering if it's the same man. And the man insisted, I'm the one. So in their confusion, they took the man to the Pharisees. Now listen carefully. Taking a healed man to the Pharisees is like arguing the pro-life position to the National Organization for Women. I mean, just imagine. It's like taking a blind man whose sight has been restored to the Pharisees is like talking about sexual abstinence to the Planned Parenthood organization. I mean, this is absolutely the wrong place to go. But you see, the Pharisees have always majored on the minors, and they minored on the majors. That's the best summary of who they were. After putting the man through the ringa, as it were, together with his family, and when they could not refute the evidence of the healing of the man, finally they said, Ah, Jesus made a clay on the Sabbath. And you've got to figure something. Forget about the man's side being restored. That's not the point. Forget about the man's life being changed forever. Forget about all this. Forget about the man who was as good as dead and now he lives with vigor and true life. What mattered to these folks is the precious little rules or the interpretation of the rule was broken. You know, the Pharisees of old are not unlike the bishops of today. They have a lot of similarities between them. They would absolutely go gun-ho for the minutest detail of the ceremony. And they would put you on trial if you break them. By the same token, ministers who deny the virgin birth, the divinity of Christ, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and all the essence of the Christian faith are commended because they are on the cutting edge of modern scholarship. I'll never forget the first time I visited St. Philip's Charleston in the early 80s. The rector showed me around. He showed me where George Whitfield sat in that church. And then he showed me where the bishops who were trying him sat. This great man of God who preached with such power that hundreds and thousands of people would weep before he even preaches. They were trying George Whitfield at St. Philip's Charleston. Well, after a sham of a trial, these bishops have found George Whitfield to be guilty of enthusiasm. <laughs> Whoever heard of these bishops, every minister of the gospel anywhere in the world have heard of George Whitfield, have been impacted in his life or her life by George Whitfield. But you see, there is a relationship between physical blindness and spiritual blindness. In fact, the Bible tells us that physical blindness is a type of spiritual blindness. And it is not therefore surprising that Jesus is the only one. None of the prophets of the Old Testament. Jesus is the only one who not only able to restore the sight, physical sight, but spiritual sight. That's why the, Peter calls him a stumbling block, you see. You either have to believe that Jesus is the only one who can reach down and open your spiritual eyes, or you will never see at all. He's the only one who can do it. And that is why after healing this blind man, Jesus said, look at verse 39. He said, for judgment I came into the world that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. 
What does he mean? What does he mean by that? Those who humbly admit their spiritual inadequacy, those who humbly admit their spiritual needs, will receive the spiritual sight. But those who convince themselves and deceive themselves in self-knowledge are going to remain blind. <laughs> Thinking of eyes and seeing and blindness, I thought of a, a friend of mine told me this story. He was one of those motivational speakers, and he was speaking somewhere in Florida. And um, in the middle of his speech, he bragged about what a good golfer he was. And um, at the end of the speech, a blind man walked straight up to him, and he said, You think you're a great golfer? I challenge you for a game of golf. And the man looked at him and looked at the seeing dog. And he said, no, don't worry about it. Forget it. He said, never you mind. He said, I want to challenge you. You name your price. Oh, my friend tried. He said, I can't take advantage of a blind man. He said, never you mind. I am going to take you on. Finally, after a friendly argument, my friend said, "Uh, okay. He said, "Uh, what time do you want to tee off? He said, one o'clock in the morning. Darkness is a great equalizer. (laughs) Today I want to speak to you about six forms of blindness that attack Christians. In fact, I'm not making those up. Every one of them come from the Word of God. Whenever the Word of God said something is blindness, I got it here in these six forms of blindness. But before I get to those six forms of blindness in the life of a Christian... I want to tell you, blindness to the truth is a disease that seems to be striking a lot of people in the church, whether they are in the pulpit or in the pew. Paul writes concerning these folks, he said, The God of this world has blinded the minds of those who do not believe, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ should shine on them. Jesus described those leaders in the church, leaders, religious leaders, in these words in Matthew 15, 14. He said, they are the blind who are leading the blinds. And they're going to pay, the leaders are going to pay a heavier price in the day of judgment than those whom they led. Spiritually blind people, whether they are in the visible church or outside of the visible church, are unable to conceive that the only faith, that only faith in Jesus Christ will bring spiritual sight, salvation. They are unable to accept that someone dying on the cross 2,000 years ago can atone for their sins today. They are unable to grasp that salvation is a free gift of God apart from human endeavor. And that is why you have people in the pews and people in the pulpits who are spiritually blind. But I want to speak about these six forms of blindness that seem that the Bible talks about hit those born-again believers. Those whose spiritual eyes are open. Those who are Christians. Those who are going to heaven. And I want you to listen very carefully and see if you can identify with any of these. And if you don't, you and I are going to have a great time at the end of this message. The first form of blindness is spiritual maturity, Christian maturity. Listen to what Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 9. He said, those who lack godliness, who do not live a godly life, they are blind. They cannot see because they forgot that they have been cleansed from their own other sins. 
In other words, immature Christians suffer both from spiritual myopia as well as spiritual amnesia. There are believers who are born again, who live their life in spiritual immaturity. They live all their life in a spiritual nursery. Now, I want to tell you something. When you see a baby blowing bubbles, you think it's cute, right? But I don't think you and I ever think of a 50-year-old man blowing bubbles is cute. But I've got news for you. Spiritual immaturity is like that. Somebody who's been a Christian for many years and still blowing spiritual bubbles. I pray God would deliver you today from that. The second form of blindness that the Bible talks about is blindness to the eternal perspective. I am told that there is a rare condition. It's called visual agnosia. It is a rare neurological condition. It's a disorder which prevents the person from seeing the whole scene, the whole thing, the whole picture. This condition causes the victim to identify details about a person's face, for example. Maybe in my case, you know, the big nose or the trimmed mustache. But this victim is prevented from recognizing this friend's picture when he sees it as a whole. That's a rare condition. The equivalence of this condition in the spiritual realm is when a Christian runs from detail to detail, from crisis to crisis, from problem to problem, from fight to fight, and they're never able to see the eternal perspective, unable to see the whole picture, and unable to see things from God's perspective. Now, the Pharisees were suffering from spiritual agnosia. Listen carefully. When they would rather see the man stay blind for the rest of his life than being healed, simply because of a form of interpretation that is erroneous anyhow, you can tell that they suffered from deep spiritual agnosia. And there are many Christians in the church suffering from that today. There are Christians who are so bogged down with little rules. They're so bogged down with little regulations. They're so bogged down with little rituals. They are so bogged down with legalism that they miss the whole picture of eternal perspective. There are some of whom Jesus said in verse 24 of John 9, they strained the gnats in the cup, but they swallowed the camel. Take a picture of that. Strained the gnats, but they swallowed the camel. The third form of blindness is blindness to our own faults. You know, we parents are really guilty of that. I confess. You know, we often, what we don't like in our children is basically what they're seeing in us and imitating us in the long run when you really think about it. I heard of this woman in California who became very agitated at the continuous hacking kind of a cough by her parrot. I mean, she was getting really ticked off. And finally, she took the parrot to the vet. And the vet examined the, the bird, and he found that the parrot is very healthy, and there's nothing wrong with the parrot. All along, the parrot was, well, all he was, the parrot was doing is that he was imitating the raspy bark of its cigarette-smoking owner. He was just mimicking her. Jesus warns against us finding the sliver in the eye of our neighbor and ignoring the log that's in our own eye. The fourth form of blindness is blindness of money. Now, I want you to strap your seat belts on this one. 
Write down. Read the following. I don't have the time. I wish I did. Exodus 23.8, Deuteronomy 16.19, and 1 Samuel 12.3. A coin is a small thing. It's as small as a penny, perhaps. But if you get it too close to your eye, it blocks the sun. But also blocks the sun of righteousness. To most people, money is like shoe. If the amount they have is too small, it pinches and irritates. And if it's too much or too large... It causes them to stumble and fall. I want to tell you something. I'm assuming that we believe what Jesus said, right? Amen? Thank you. And what Jesus said, that if you really want to know, listen carefully, if you really want to know what kind of a person you're dealing with, don't examine his or her personal biblical knowledge. Don't necessarily fall for what they tell you who they are. They might be true and might not. Don't look at the outward appearance of what a super Christian you're talking to. No. He said, if you really want to take a a spiritual temperature of a person, find out where the bulk of their money is. I'm still assuming that we believe that Jesus knows best, right? He said, where your money is, not where your heart is. He said, where your money is, that's where your heart. If I want to know where your hot button is, I've got to find out where your money is. If I find out where your priorities are, find out where your money is. If I find out where your commitment is, I want to know where your money is. That's what Jesus said. I'm only obeying Jesus. He didn't say find out where the person spends his time, or if a person is generous with giving you advice. (laughs) No, he said find out where the money is, because that's you're going to find the heart. But the Bible said even more about this. The Bible said, regardless of your outward spirituality, regardless of your super-Christianity, regardless of your biblical knowledge, if you're not a tither, you are as good as the guy who put his hand in the offering plate and take money out instead of putting it in. You can figure that one out. The fifth form of blindness is the blindness of hate. 1 John chapter 2, verse 11 tells us, that he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because he is in darkness. Because of the blindness of the eyes. John is saying this, that if your heart is full of hatred towards somebody, that hatred is going to hurt you the most. Because you will stumble and you will fall. Because you will go from hitting the door to hitting the table. You're going to go from bumping into the wall, bruising your head, into falling down the stairs and breaking your back. Hatred is blindness that Christians need to be delivered from. I want to tell you something. Taking a stand in a wishy-washy society like I do, you can believe that I got a lot of people who don't necessarily like me very much. And I love it. (laughs) The Bible said, war unto you. And people said, well, speak well of you, right? And I claimed that promise. Somebody called me something about a year and a half ago. Lady said, my husband hates you. I said, good. Tell him to take a number (laughs) and line up. (laughs) We've got a long line around this building. But I want to tell you something, Christian. Please listen. You can never afford to hate back. It is not what God wants you to do. God cannot use you if your heart is full of bitterness and hatred. He cannot bless you. The best thing you can do for those who hate you is to pray for them. 
And you know what you do when you pray for them? You are lifting them and giving them up to God's justice. And he can do a better job than you will ever hope to do. And at the same time, you're putting a robe of righteousness around you. Not your righteousness, but the righteousness of God. Well, I've gone longer than I intended. The sixth form of blindness is the blindness of half-hearted commitments. Jesus sends a message to the lukewarm Christians in the church of Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3, verse 17. He said, Because you say, I am rich and increased in goods and have no need of anything, while you don't know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, and blind, and naked. I counsel you to anoint your eye with salve that you may see. Half-hearted commitment is an abomination unto the Lord. Lukewarm Christians are not pleasing to the Lord. He will almost will spit them out. And I want to tell you today, whatever blindness you may identify with, I'll appeal to you in the name of the Lord Jesus to be delivered from it today. With the same power that opened the eyes of that blind man, Jesus' power is here with us today. And He's able to come and deliver you from whatever blindness you're suffering from. One of the first transplants, eye transplants ever taken place was in New York in Manhattan in the 27th of January, 1951. It was a South African citizen. And a man died in Michigan, donated his eyes, and they did the eye transplant. And the man was finally returning home to South Africa to see his family for the first time. The South African newspaper headline said, he will see his family for the first time through a dead man's eyes. And how true it is. For it is through the dying of the God-man on the cross that your spiritual sight became possible. That my spiritual sight became possible. Through his death, you and I live. Through his closing of his eyes on Calvary, our eyes were opened fully. His was the separation from the Father, so that yours can be eternity. His was the curse of sin, so that yours and mine be the blessing of God. When he hung on the cross, he lifted you up. He lifted me up. Through a dead man's eyes, you and I are able to see. What is your blind spot? Blindness to the truth? Blindness to spiritual maturity? The blindness to the eternal perspective? Is it blindness of seeing when your own faults? Is it blindness of money? Is it blindness of hatred? Or is it blindness of half-hearted commitment? By nature, I am fascinated by the early Christians. I read everything that can lay my hands on ever since seminary days. And how they paid so dearly for their faith. Pliny was the Roman governor in Asia Minor in the early 2nd century. And he was puzzled at the spiritual sight that the Christians have. I want to tell you something. When your spiritual eyes are open. And the world see that. You're going to baffle the world. Not the world will baffle you. You'll baffle them because you're seeing what they can't see. And that's what happened with Pliny. 
So he was puzzled by these Christians who were coming to him in front of him for trial, one after the other. Then he wrote what later on became a famous letter of asking advice from the emperor Trajan. He said, a certain unknown Christian was brought before me. Finding little fault in him, I proceeded to threaten him. I will banish you, I said. You can't, said the Christian, for all the world is my father's house. Then I will slay you, said Pliny. You can't, answered the Christian, for my life is hid with Christ in God. Well, I'll take away your possessions. You can't, because I already sent him on to heaven, said the Christian. I will drive you away from humanity, and you will have no friends left, was Pliny's final threat to this Christian man. But the clear reply came back once again from this man with spiritual eyes. You can't, for I have an unseen friend from whom you are not able to separate me. Pliny finally concluded by asking the emperor, What was a poor, harassed Roman governor with all the powers of life and death, torture and the stake at his disposal? What is he to do with people like that? Where is the area of your blind spots? Put your finger on it today, not tomorrow. Tomorrow may never come. Today. And say, Lord Jesus, open my eyes that I may see. Let's bow our heads and come before God. Scripture said that our hearts are deceitful. But God knows our hearts. And He is able to minister to us individually, all at the same time right now. What form of blindness are you suffering from that is holding you back from the blessings of God? You name it to yourself between you and the Lord. Name it. Father God, it is in utter brokenness of hearts that we come to you. You're the God of heaven, and yet in your mercy, your grace, your sovereign will, you have chosen to reach down to us and call us your sons and your daughters, your children whom you love. And Father, it is not the desire of our heart to let you down. We lift up to you all forms of spiritual blindness. Those who have never, their eyes have never been opened to know you as the Lord of their life, they may surrender to you today. Those who have made an idol of money, those who have made an idol of hate and bitterness, those who have made an idol of half-hearted commitment. Father God, we lift up all of these. Father, the spiritual immaturity, we lift them up to you. Holy Spirit, move in every chair right now, in every seat. Touch every heart, every eye, every spirit. That our eyes be open for good to the glory of the Lord Jesus. In his name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. 
That's ltw.org.